The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body supplying the much needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Welcome everyone. It is good to be back uh, before you and in your midst as we gather together in his precious and holy name, Jesus. Uh, it's good to have the new faces that we haven't seen in a while. We have much to be thankful for. It's good to see that you are well, that you continue to be blessed, and that you're here tonight again. Amen. Amen. Um, we have been in a new series since you've uh, been with us. Um, and it's called the Principles of the Doctrine of Christ. Um, there are how many principles, those of you that have been here all this time? Six. There are six, and we've gone through how many so far? Two. Completed? Three. No, completed two. two on the third. Completed two. We are on the third one. And the third one is on? Baptism. Baptisms. <laughs> he is just... <laughs> He's got them all, yes. Yeah. And uh, we, we started baptisms connecting it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and last lesson, uh, we looked at the precedence for water baptism and what baptism actually is. And uh, uh, we show, we, we kind of reminded ourselves how that was connected to a previous lesson under the principles of the doctrine of Christ called Repentance from Dead Works. And a lot of times as we go through these, there's a lot of uh, sharing of John the Baptist and Jesus very early on in their ministries because they were very much tied to repentance from dead works, faith toward God, and now this uh, particular lesson on baptisms. And so we finished all the precedents for water baptism and the necessity of water baptism because it wasn't an option. It wasn't a... a, a a suggestion. It was a requirement. And it was so much a requirement that we found out last week that Jesus had to do what? He got baptized himself. So there's really no argument as to those out there who might say today, well, that's just an outward side of an inward confession. It's not really necessary for salvation. Yet Jesus is the one that said, John the Baptist, you need to baptize me. John the Baptist was like, no, 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 no. I need to baptize by you. He said, no, 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 no. Listen to what I'm saying. You need to baptize me because it will fulfill all righteousness. And we also looked at other scriptures that talked about how Jesus left us an example for us to follow. So when he was praying to the Father, that was an example to us. When he was getting baptized... In water, that was an example to us. We also looked at how he didn't really need baptism because of sins. He wasn't getting baptized for sins. He was getting baptized to set an example for us to follow. And we found out later that he baptized his own disciples. And we also found out or, or kind of highlighted and, and, and shared how when John the Baptist saw the Spirit of the Lord uh, descending as a dove upon him, he wasn't receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost then. That was just a sign to John the Baptist that Jesus was the Messiah. That's all it was. 
why did not, when we studied last week, just to try to hit into what we're going on this week, why did Jesus not need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost like we did? We looked at a few scriptures. Anyone remember any of the scriptures? Why Jesus didn't need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? Why that really wasn't a, the Spirit of the Lord, you know, indwelling and filling him like we New Covenant believers experience? Anybody remember any of the scriptures? Well, we talked about that he was God manifested in the flesh, that he was the express image of the invisible God. Yes, all of that is true. But there were some other scriptures that I thought were more pertinent to talk about why he didn't receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, he was blameless? Yes, he definitely was blameless. Goes back to the old covenant. Goes back to Isaiah, chapter seven. Uh huh. What's that one? Go ahead. For unto us a child is born, and a son is given, and his name Emmanuel. shall be called Emmanuel. God we found out in the New Covenant scriptures that that was interpreted as what? God with us. God with us. So when was he God? He was God when he was born. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Well, God with us. When? When he was born. But we also looked at another scripture that said he was God before he was born. Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah 7.14 said what? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive Mm. and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. What is the difference between born and conceived? Lydia, did you say? Oh, I thought I heard you. Oh, that was her? What's the difference between being conceived and being born? There is a difference. One comes before the other. Can you tell me specifically when conceived comes? So when God, who we said last week, overshadowed Mary and by miraculous supernatural power made her conceive without a man's sperm, supernaturally, that's when he was God. At conception. At conception. Not even just at birth. I mean, it was nice to know it was at birth. He was the eternal father. He was the everlasting father, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. All of that stuff is true. But at conception, he was Emmanuel. Wow. So did he need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost if he was already God? No. That was just a sign to John. Okay? So now, we want to look at what are the precedents for spirit baptism. Because the word in the scriptures in Hebrews 6, 1 through 3 that talks about the principles of the doctrine of Christ says baptisms, plural. Okay? So we already studied in Repentance from Dead Works how baptism is tied to repentance. Water baptism. It's tied to it. It's tied to it. It's tied to forgiveness of sins. It's tied to the confession of sins. All of those were tied together. Water baptism and repentance. So we're going to kind of go back to that so we can get a better understanding of spiritual baptism. And so we're going to consider Matthew chapter 3, 
We're going to consider three verses right now. Deborah's going to do verse 1. Lydia's going to read verse 6. And Sister Mel's going to read verse 11 in Matthew chapter 3. I read 6. Yes. And you said 17, right? No, 11. Yeah, okay. Wait. It just looks like a 7. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wrote it. I'm playing my hand. Matthew 3. Matthew 3. When you're ready, Deborah. In those days, John the Baptist preaching in the wait. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Okay, and then verse six. And were baptized of him of Jordan, confessing their sins. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Okay, so I've said this in, in the previous lessons in baptisms, that what we see is John the Baptist did not separate the truth that there would be one to come after him that was mightier than him that would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So we clearly see the legitimacy of water baptism and of spiritual baptism. One is not greater than the other. They are both equally necessary essential. They're both equally important. So one that would immerse us in water for the forgiveness of sins was one baptism and one that would immerse us in the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And for the latter, the Holy Ghost, we do not know the reason yet according to the scriptures that we've shared. Why? Why is that so important? So let's continue reading. Let's continue considering. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, Ralph 14, Patricia 15, and I will finish with verse 16 as we read Matthew chapter 3. Then comes Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And so the question must be asked at this point, why was Jesus baptized? Jesus said that he needed to be baptized of John to fulfill all righteousness. That's the first and the most important reason. If we are to attain the righteousness of God in Christ by faith, and it says that he, Jesus, needed to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness, then water baptism is to be viewed as a requirement, not an option, to obtain the righteousness of God. Yes, sir. Dumb question. <laughs> where it says uh, suffer it to him the word suffer I think has a, a few different meanings mm -hmm. in biblical terms and in this context what does that mean alright let me go there the word suffer uh, this is where we do our word studies alright 
And the word suffer is numbered in Strong's Concordance as G863. So you can look this up on your own. G863. And it has several in particular meanings. And basically it means permitted for now. Permitted for now. Okay? It's not like he was saying there was anything uh, terrible out of boat. We need to do this. Because we can't break the script. That's one thing Jesus would never do. He would never break the script. He would never break the law. He came to fulfill the law. So suffered be now. Permit it for now. Because it needs to fulfill all righteousness. So that, that's basically uh, what he's saying. Let it happen. Just let it go. Just let's do this. Okay? So good question. Alright. Question. Yes. The verse I read for the last part, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Mm -hmm. The and fire. I always had a question about that question. The and fire. There's many different interpretations of the and fire. On the day of Pentecost, what did we see happen in the... Tongues of fire. They saw tongues of fire. Some people think that it's that. Okay. When you get the, the, the Holy Ghost, you get these tongues ah. and, and brings right. fire. And what happens is, when the Lord takes control of your tongue, we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. anything that comes out of your mouth came from where first? Your heart. The heart. Out of the so if he is able to tame the tongue, what that signifies is that he just took the reins of your heart. That's what he wants. So that's one way some people seem to, to interpret that. The other way some people interpret that was well, that that's tribulation that comes into your life. And that he, within you, give, empowers you to overcome and withstand all the trials and tribulations that you will overcome. Some people see it as that. Now that's not the gist of our, of our teaching tonight, but that, that, that's kind of the two ways people will interpret it. I'm not going to say one is right and one is wrong. I think you could kind of look at it either way. I mean, both are true. The only way that we are going to survive the rest of this life after we're born again is because the Holy Spirit is indwelling us. Because without Him, we can do what? No. Nothing. Without Him, I'm not going to stand the test of fire and trials and tribulations and, and persecutions. And neither could my brothers in the past. My brothers, I'm talking about Paul and Peter and all of them that died a martyr's death could not do what they did and go to their deaths believing that Jesus rose from the grave while everyone is telling them to shut up and be quiet and I'm going to kill you if you don't and they still went to their deaths. That was only by the power of the Holy Ghost in them. Okay? So, I, I, I can kind of see it both ways and not have an issue with it. Okay? So, another good question. Yeah. The Holy Ghost of Fire could be the fire of the tongues of fire. It could also be, you know, the, the tribulation that it brings in your life and how he overcomes in you to make you an overcomer, to make you triumphant. Okay, so in this passage, we also see John the Baptist saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon Jesus. And I said last lesson that this was a type, this was a foreshadow of the baptism of the Spirit. But it wasn't that Jesus received the baptism of the Spirit for himself. He didn't need to. We also read the scriptures how uh, the Spirit was given to Jesus without what? Anybody? Without measure. 
It was already given to him without measure. So why would he need to receive the Holy Ghost? There's just too many scriptures that don't allow us to to say and to teach that, yeah, he received the gift of the Holy Ghost like everybody else. It just doesn't make sense according to the scriptures. So we just go by the scriptures. So John knew that Jesus was the one that would come after him, that would baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. So when Jesus answered John the Baptist, he was not only referring to baptism in water, he was also referring to the baptism in the Spirit. These are the baptisms that were needed to what? Fulfill all righteousness. It's not just water baptism. It's both. So why then was Jesus baptized? So let's go over that in, in a little bit more detail. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 24. So 21 will be Deborah. Um... Alvina 22, Monica 23, and Ralph 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, 21 through 24. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his footsteps. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bear out our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And so the key is, that first verse, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. So, that's kind of a, a, a synopsis of what we really covered last week, okay? Jesus, after his resurrection, we know, was on the earth, for how many days? 40. 40 days. And what was he doing during those 40 days? He was teaching. He was preaching, uh, ministering the things concerning the kingdom of God. And before he ascended, after the 40 days, before he went up, he told the disciples to not do something. Anybody remember what he told them not to do? To not depart Jerusalem. He didn't say why. We know why afterward. But he didn't say why. He said, hey, don't. Well, actually, he did. Actually, he did. He did say, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive, or until you mean dude with power from on high. I don't think they knew that receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. But yeah, don't leave until that. And wait for the what? He called it the promise of the Father. So the Holy Spirit was the promise of the Father. It had been prophesied in days of old. They just didn't understand it. Joel prophecy. How he would pour his spirit upon who? Your sons and daughters. Upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy and, and, and all of these things. Yes, absolutely. So, going back to what, what was said in Acts chapter 1, 5 and 8. For John truly baptized with water. 
but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So he did say that to them. But ye shall receive power after what? The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria unto the uttermost parts of the earth. That's Acts chapter 1 verses 5 and 8. So yeah, he did tell them, hey, wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Ghost. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait to be endued with power. Power. And then you will be witnesses. So the promise of the Father was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. When they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they received what? Power. And became witnesses to all the nations, starting from Jerusalem. Judea was the region where Jerusalem was, the surrounding region. And then where? Samaria. That was the northern part of Israel. And then? And then outside of Israel. Didn't realize that. They, they just thought it was going to be for the Jews only. That was not God's original intention. So in Acts chapter 2, we see that there's at least 120 waiting in the upper room, just as Jesus told them to. <clears throat> and they received the promise of the Father, and they began to speak in tongues. They also began to look like what kind of people? Anybody remember? Drunk. They would look like drunken people. And Peter was the first to preach the gospel in the anointing of the Holy Ghost. He was the first. And so we talk about in the scriptures how um, the the it's called um, in, in the studies of the scriptures um, the power or the law of first mention. Right here we see the first person to ever preach the gospel in the new covenant under the unction and power of the Holy Ghost was Peter. So I would say we probably should pay real close attention to what he said and what he expected because nobody else had ever done that <clears throat> before. So during his preaching, he was explaining to all the people that were there because so many of Jews had come from the surrounding regions. Why? Because they came to celebrate the Feast of Passover they were abiding by the law. The law said you need to come and you need to celebrate your feast of Passover. And while they were there, they saw all of this happening. And during Peter's preaching, we've talked about this before in other studies, so I'm kind of uh, summarizing it. He testified of a man. And the man's name was Jesus. And he said, God raised him from the dead. And this man has been exalted at what place? Anybody know? Four words? Quote, unquote. Hand. Something about the hand. Which hand is this? Right. Okay, can you finish it? The right hand of God. Right hand of God. <laughs> this man, whom you all saw, was exalted to the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of God is, is, is a, uh, a connotation of power, strength, authority. And Peter explained that what everyone now sees and hears regarding all of these people looking like they were drunken and speaking in their tongue from the region outside, uh, this was the promise of this Father that was spoken to them that they would receive. And let's read Acts 2, verse 32 and 33. Deborah 32 and Melvina 33 in Acts chapter 2. 
This Jesus hath God raised up, where we are all, we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which is now which ye now see and hear. Now the Holy Spirit is the Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. This same Spirit was now the Spirit that indwelled the 120 disciples that were waiting in the upper room and quickened them. What is quickened? Anybody know? That word quickened? Changed. No, a little bit more than changed. Made alive. Yeah, made alive. He made them alive again. He quickened their mortal bodies to do something specific. Anybody know what it says in Romans chapter 8, 11? Why were we quickened? In these mortal bodies. These mortal bodies are going back to the earth to dust. You understand that, right? Mm-hmm. But he quickened us. He made us alive again to do something very specific. Anybody know what it says in Romans 8, 11? Yeah, go ahead and look it up. Monica, you got it. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Yeah, that's it. So that's where the scriptures say that the same Jesus that was raised from the dead by the Spirit is now in you. And is now in you so that you can serve the living God. They now could do something they never could do before. They can now walk in the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God dwelled in them. No one could ever say that in the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, it never said that the Spirit was in them. It said the Spirit was upon them. Spirit was upon Samson. But what happened when they cut his hair? Spirit went off. (laughs) He had no strength. He had no power. He had no authority. Spirit came upon Saul. What did he do? He prophesied like all the prophets. Oh, is he a prophet now? Well, he wasn't prophesying all the time and he ended up almost trying to kill David for the rest of his life. For the 40 years that he reigned. Spirit left him too, but came upon him. The Spirit always came upon those in the Old Covenant for them to fulfill a certain purpose that God had for them. Gideon, all the judges, uh, all the David, all of them. He was on them. The anointing was on them for them to be able to fill a certain thing. Well, now that same anointing is now in us in order to for us to fulfill a certain purpose. So Paul said, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of God, did you get that in those scriptures? It's not like Paul thinks that there's three different spirits. He said the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit... If you don't have the Spirit of God, you are not His. He says in Romans chapter 8 verse 9. So Peter then spoke to them saying that, wow, this promise was also for them. He said the same thing you now see and hear, where they have received the promise of the Father, hey, that promise is for you too. He's talking to all the people that came from the neighboring regions. That promise is for you. 
He said, men and brethren, or they said to him, after he spoke, after he preached, you know it, men and brethren, what, should, what are we going to do? What, what do we do to fix this? We crucified the Lord of glory himself. So Peter answered them. You should all know this. You should even know the scripture. What did he respond to them? Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. And Peter said unto them, what? <laughs> Repent <laughs> and be baptized. Each and every one of you. Or every Each one and every one of you. In the name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ. For what reason? The remission of sins. And you shall be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. But see, I'm emphasizing this because, again, this is the first time ever that the New Covenant Gospel was preached and it was by a man under the direct anointing of the Holy Ghost that had just indwelled him. Look at what he said. My God, if he was wrong, then then we, we couldn't believe anything in the Scriptures because the man was just anointed indwelled, baptized by the Spirit of God. The promise was not only for the disciples. It wasn't just for those 120 that followed Jesus. The promise was for all men. It's a promise to all men who would do what? Obey the Gospel. He didn't just say, hey, the promise is for you. Receive it. No, no, no. What did he say first? Repent and be baptized. That's obedience. You hear the gospel. You hear the good news. You hear about what Jesus did for you, how he died on the cross for you, how he was the Lord of glory. He was the promised one. How he did all of these mighty miracles and things. But you've got to respond with obedience to the gospel and then the promise will be for you. This is the fruit of that response when you receive the Spirit of the, the, the Holy Ghost. If you repent, if you get baptized in the name of Jesus, and you do it sincerely and genuinely, then the promise of the Holy Ghost is for you. There should be no question. That's who it's for. So almost 3,000 lives were ushered into the kingdom of God that very day. It says, after they heard what, what Peter says, it says they gladly received his word. They believed it. But how do you know? Because the very next two words were baptized. They began to obey. And that same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The Holy Spirit is akin to the kingdom of God. How do I know? Somebody read Luke seventeen twenty one. How is the Spirit and the Kingdom of God like almost synonymous terms? Mm -hmm. 17 verse 21. Neither, Why? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the Kingdom of God is within you. Hmm. He was speaking that to the people before Pentecost. He was speaking prophetically. Listen, there's going to come a time where they're going to say over here and over there is the kingdom of God. And like, no, no. 
the kingdom of God is going to be in you. And the scriptures are bearing that out. We see it so clearly. On the day of Pentecost, when they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, they received the kingdom of God. It's now in you. Now we are witnesses of Jesus Christ. How? By the Holy Ghost that dwells in us. That's why I didn't need to be alive 2,000 years ago to know that Jesus Christ was alive, he was died, and he buried again. Uh, excuse me, that, that he was alive, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. I didn't need to be there to see that. Why? Because I just received the gift of the Holy Ghost, which means he is alive. That's the evidence. If I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that is the evidence that he actually is alive because he was dead. Then I'm not quickened. Remember what we said about the gospel? His death is important. His burial is important. But if he never rose again, your faith is in what? In pain. So yeah, all of it is absolutely essential and important because he couldn't get resurrected had he not died. He couldn't, he couldn't die unless he had been born. <laughs> he had to go through all of that. So, we are not, we are not there to witness his resurrection with our own eyes, but because we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is the spirit of resurrection, then we can now be witnesses of him. That yes, and say with total, uh, uh, persuasion in our own mind, yes, Jesus is alive. How? I received the gift of his Holy Ghost. He is alive. I can tell you emphatically, he's alive. He wants you. He wants to give you the Holy Ghost. If you repent, if you obey the gospel, you get baptized. He wants to give you the same spirit he gave to me. He wants to resurrect you. It says, John twenty twenty nine. Blessed are they that have not seen. And what? And, and yet they believe. I haven't seen Jesus died. I didn't see him buried in the tomb. I didn't see him rise again. But boy, it says that I am blessed because I believe that it happened and I wasn't even there. Therefore, we are witnesses to Jesus. Uh, excuse me, of Jesus to the whole world. That's why we can be witnesses of him. We also note in the first account that baptism in water and spirit we're not separated. When did Jesus bring that up for the first ever time to let us know, hey, they're not separated? Anybody? When did Jesus bring up that these baptisms are not separatable? <laughs> but did y'all understand what I said? Yeah. <laughs> they're not separatable. I can't separate them. When did he when did he say that for the first time? Anybody? You have talked about it many times. Oh, you better write this in your notes. When did Jesus bring up for the first time that you cannot separate water and spirit? Thank you, Monica. Thank you. My sister had it. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. We've talked about this countless of times. And he, Jesus said to him, hey, you got to be born again. What? What do you mean born again? I can't go into a mother's womb again. What do you mean by that? Listen, 
a man must be born of the water and grammar queen here. What does and mean? Join together, conjunction, that you can't separate them. Water and spirit, he cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying you can't separate those two things. A man is born again when he is born of the water and the spirit. If you could just be born of the water and the spirit was not necessary, he would have just said you got to be born of the water again. That don't make no sense. Okay? You guys remember Philip preaching gospel? Yeah, he preached the gospel to the eunuch. That's true. But he made a big stink up in some some region. Oh, was it in... Uh, Jerusalem? Judea? Samaria. Ah, he went to Samaria. See, he's branching out. The gospel is branching out from Jerusalem to Judea. Then he went to Samaria, and Philip went to preach there. And he preached Christ unto them. We've already gone over this before. And when they believed Philip... Preaching the things what? Concerning what? The kingdom of God. Which is what? We said, we just said it a couple minutes ago. The kingdom of God is in you. So what's he preaching? The Holy Ghost. So when he says he's preaching the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, what did they do? What did the people do? Huh? They were baptized. They were baptized, both men and women. So here we read Philip, he's preaching to the Samaritans, he's preaching of Christ, that's the gospel. Jesus, who he was, his identity, what he did, what happened to him. And the things concerning the kingdom of God, which we just said, that's the Holy Ghost, in you. And the name of Jesus Christ. Man, why were you preaching the name of Jesus Christ? Well, you got to identify the man. But you also got to identify that, hey, you got to be baptized in what? In the name of Jesus. So he's got to be preaching about this name. And they received what he preached and they were baptized. Both men and women. So we see here that even baptism in water in Jesus' name is what? Still required. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have done it. If the, see, there was a point in time in my life where I was thinking, well, what, what's the big deal about the water baptism? If you get the Holy Spirit, why you gotta get water baptized? And when I read this, I said, well, I can't make that argument. Because if water baptism wasn't necessary, then Philip wouldn't have baptized him. He would have just gone with the Holy Ghost. No, he went with both. Water baptism and spirit baptism. Because we know afterward what happened. Peter and John left Jerusalem, went to Samaria because there was an issue. Wow, they received the the, 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 the the preaching of the gospel. They were baptized. Wow, that's great. But they haven't received the Holy Ghost. Oh, okay. Well, we got to fix this. And they went and fixed it. And so water and, and spirit are essential. that You can't separate them. So it's still required, even of the half-Jews. Because Samaritans were half-Jews. And they were looked down upon because they weren't purely Jews. You know, like Hispanics are. Oh, we're, we're not pure. We're a mixture of this person and that person and that code race and all blah, 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 blah. You know, it's nonsense. But it's been, it's nothing new under the sun, right? It's always okay. been around. Okay. Yeah. You said water and spirit. Mm-hmm. Inseparable. Water and spirit. Inseparable. Inseparable. Which took me back to Holy Spirit and fire. Inseparable. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. I you could say that. that. Yeah, you got the Holy Spirit. You're going to get fire. I'm even more. Right? Yeah. Wow. 
Okay. You're gonna get the fire of the tongues if you want yeah. to look at it that way, or you're gonna get the fire of tribulation. Because if you walk yeah. in the narrow way, what did he say? Did he promise we're gonna have peace and and joy, and mm-hmm. all the birds are gonna be singing around us no. all day every day? <laughs> no. no, he said persecution is gonna to come to you. Yeah. So take up your cross and follow me anyway. <laughs> okay. So now, let's see here. In that particular uh, uh, excerpt that we're talking about of him preaching to the Samaritans, we said that, hey, they sent Peter and John's afterward. So water baptism didn't complete the issue. Spirit baptism completed it because water baptism was already done. Not that spirit baptism was more important, but they both had to be there. So we noticed that the required response didn't end in water baptism. Peter and John were sent all the way from Jerusalem to pray, to lay hands on them, that they would receive the Holy Spirit, for they had not received the promise of the Father. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost would have been in vain if it wasn't important to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, because there are some people that say, well, I never spoke in tongues before, but I got baptized, so I must be good. And they, and they just they just rest in that. But the scriptures don't say you can rest in that. You must be born of the water and of the spirit. You can't pick and choose what you want to do or because you didn't lack uh, some experience or, or, no, you can't pick and choose. So they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. It says it very clearly in those scriptures of, of, uh, of Acts chapter 8. And so they laid their hands on them, the Samaritans received the Holy Ghost, and no one at this point was exempt from responding to the gospel in this manner. Repenting leads to water baptism and spirit baptism. They are undeniably inseparable responses according to the scriptures. Again, I focus on what was the response What did they expect the listeners to either respond with or experience? Because if that's what they expected it, and we are going to be disciples of Christ, then we should expect the very same thing. We should preach the very same thing. I didn't walk with him. They did. For three and a half years they walked with him. They were instructed for 40 days after he resurrected. They, of all people, should know what he wanted. So if I go by what they what their example was to me and I follow that, I should be safe and secure that what I'm sharing with others is what God wanted me to share. So Acts, we now go to Acts chapter 10. We went from Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. We went to Acts chapter 8 where Philip was preaching to the Samaritan. And now we're going to Acts chapter 10. Anybody know who or what happened in Acts chapter 10? Cornelius. Cornelius. He was a Gentile. He was not even a Jew. So they started with Jerusalem. They started with Jews. They started in Judea. They still preaching to the Jews. Then they went to Samaria. Ah, they preached to the half Jews. And now in Acts chapter 10, we see it going outside of that region to Gentiles, to a man named Cornelius. And in Acts chapter 10, you could read 44 through 48. Peter was preaching to Cornelius. He was preaching to his wife. He was preaching to his servants. He was preaching to his kids. He didn't even get to finish preaching. And the Holy Ghost fell on all of them. And they began to speak in tongues. And the Jews that traveled with Peter were completely astonished. They did not expect this. This was the 
unclean Jews. I mean, Gentiles. They're unclean. This is, this is not supposed to happen. But Peter, right before that, he had a vision and God said, kill and eat. Kill and eat. And there were unclean animals. And Peter was like, I ain't gonna do that. I ain't gonna do that. I ain't gonna do that. Go do that. Go bring them in. I want them in. I love them. And so he went to this man's house. He preached. The Holy Ghost fell on them. It was poured up and they heard them speak with tongues and they magnified God. And then, wait a second. Oh, oh, see, this is where I was, I was, I was in a crux. I was in a quandary many years ago, almost 20 years ago. I was like, wait, 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 wait. I, cause again, I said, why do I need the gift of the Holy Ghost if I, or, or the other way around, why do I need, um, baptism of water if I got the gift of the Holy Ghost? And I started seeing that first example. I said, well, they got baptized in water, but it didn't end there. They had to get the Holy Ghost. And so when I read this scripture, I said, well, I can't fall the other way either. I can't go from one side saying, well, baptism in water is just is enough. And then I can't go the other way and say, baptism in the Spirit is enough. I can't do that because of this one. This one said, Peter said, he heard them all speak with tongues. They were magnifying God. And if that was sufficient, Peter would have said, well, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Let's go back home and tell all the others in Jerusalem. He didn't do that. What did he say? He said, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And what did he do? Did he suggest? Commanded. He commanded. He said, get them in the water. They need to get baptized in Jesus' name. And that's what happened. So you see, from one pendulum of logic, I was thinking, I could stick with just being baptized in water because... And I, I haven't, you know, some people say, oh, I, haven't, I haven't spoken in tongues. I'm like, man, man, what do you say to them? I mean, they look sincere and they're Christian and they got baptized. In, and you think all of these emotional thoughts, but you go to the scriptures and it's like, I can't pick and choose. I've got an example that says baptism in water was not enough. Otherwise, the Samaritans would have been fine. I got this example here that says, well, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost because that's where I was at. I was like, well, gosh, I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. What's so big deal about water? I got the Holy Ghost. I got Jesus. But this here says, hey, can any man forbid water? And he commanded, commanded. He didn't suggest. So I can't go with one logic and go to the other extreme and say, no, it could be this one. No, I have to conclude they are inseparable. I cannot, just because I want to, decide that I'm going to change the scriptures. I'm going to change what the scripture says was important. Both are equally important. Equally necessary. And then Peter says, in, 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 as he's recounting this whole event to the Jews in Jerusalem, he says, you know, I remembered. I, I remembered the word of the Lord. And he said, he said, John indeed baptized with water. But ye, shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. He remembered in that moment. That's right. John kept talking about the baptism in water, but he talked about the one that would come after and the Holy Ghost in fire. And so in, in, in Peter's mind, oh, they're not separable. I can't separate them. So he's preaching to the, to the household of Cornelius. They represent the Gentiles. Before he could finish preaching, he, before he even laid hands on he didn't even lay hands on them guys Jesus was making an emphatic statement this has nothing to do with what you did 
You didn't lay hands on them like you did with the Samaritans. You didn't come and pray for them. You didn't even finish preaching. I'm making a statement. You can unequivocally not deny them entry into my kingdom because I've just given them the Holy Ghost. What can you say now, Peter? Peter got it. Can any man forbid water? <laughs> Let's go put him in the water too. Might as well. I, I can't say anything. I, who am I to argue with God? I don't baptize in the Holy Ghost. He does. I know that. And he just gave them the Holy Ghost. So all arguments, throw them in the garbage. That's it. There's no use in arguing with God. Yeah. So people receive, or they feel like they receive the Holy Ghost, okay? And you talk to them about baptism in Jesus' name, and they don't accept accept it. What? How do you? How do you argue that? I don't argue. Well, okay, not argue, but because you're just so. If they wanted to stand on what you just said, well, we receive the Holy Ghost. Would it be that, but then you see Cornelius' household um, follow through and obey the rest of it? You see what I'm saying? Because if you just said that they received the Holy Ghost and that's God saying unequivocally they're mine, I just gave them my spirit. How do you, how do you talk to a person that believes that they have the spirit, but they don't think it's important to get baptized in Jesus' name? Everybody turn to 1 John. Mm-hmm. You know where I'm going? Oh, okay. I thought you knew where I was going. I was no. like, oh, yeah, that, that's good. 1 John. Chapter 4. Verse 6. John the Apostle says, We are of God. Who is he talking about? When he says we, we are of God. True. We are of God is probably meaning uh, the spirit-filled Christians, but more specifically, he's talking in authority here. He's talking about the apostles. We're the preachers. We are of God. And he says, he that knows God hears us. A way that we can also understand that is that if there's a person that is truly of God, he's going to listen to us. If he's of God, he's going to listen to us. Yeah. He that is not of God does not hear us. In other words, he doesn't listen to the words that we are saying. The apostles were of God. Unequivocally, no question about it. So if I repeat what John, what Peter, what Paul, what Philip said to those in the first century, to a person today, and they don't receive it. What does this scripture tell me about where they're at at the present state? They're not of God. It doesn't matter what that person says of himself. It doesn't matter what that person believes of himself. 
It doesn't matter what organization he comes from. It doesn't matter if he's a fourth generation of his organization. None of that matters. If I preach the words of the apostles, not my own words, if I just keep repeating what they have said to you and you don't believe it and you argue with it and you don't receive it and you make all these, these, you know, twisty little pretzels with the word and, and contortions and try to make it say what you want it to say, even though we can clearly delineate all of these things and you just continue to wrestle with the scriptures. What, what does the scripture say about those who wrestle with the scriptures? Anybody remember? They do it to their own, their they do it to their own destruction. I don't have to argue with anybody. If I share the scripture and you don't receive it, what does Jesus tell me about preaching the gospel? He says, go to their house. He says, speak peace unto it. He says, if they receive your peace, go in and eat with them. What is he really saying? He's like, have a dinner with them? No, he's talking about exchange, dialogue with them, uh, uh, relate with them, fellowship with them, and continue ministering. As long as they're receiving the peaceful gospel that you've brought them. Yeah, you keep ministering and make them disciples. Yes, you're supposed to do that. But if you come into the house and they don't want to receive your peace, did it tell me to argue with them? It said, shake the dust off your feet. What does that dust represent? The dust of unbelief. Dust it off your feet because what are you putting on your feet? What armor of God are you putting on your feet? The gospel of peace. Dust it off. And go to the next house. Why do I, I need to argue with anybody? They don't, they're not arguing. They'll present the scriptures. Don't get me wrong. Paul was in the synagogues. Peter was in the synagogues. They would, they were ministering. They were trying to reach them. But even Paul, when he was in the, in the, in the, I think it was Ephesus. He was preaching to the Greeks and the Greeks had statues of different gods and they had a one statue of an unknown God. And that's the one that he used to help them understand who the true God is. And he was ministering to all of them and Greeks, they like to argue. They like to back and forth, back and forth, come up with an argument. You know, Greeks, the, the, um, what, what's the name of the philosophers? The, Oh my God. Aristotle and all of that. Greek come up with arguments. Well, they wanted to continue arguing. And Peter, Paul was like, no, I'm done. But you know what? He left and he ministered to those that were interested because they received what he said. That's how you minister the gospel. You're not there to argue with anybody. The debates that we see on TV, I mean, we, we, we kind of get off on them. We were like, we're entertained by it. You know, we want to hear Ken Ham preach, you know, not preach, but have a debate with, you know, a Bill Nye, the science guy. And that's entertaining. But I don't, I personally don't think that it amounted to anything other than it was very entertaining for a lot of those that call themselves Christians. That's my opinion. I'm not saying Ken Ham did anything wrong. I'm, I'm not, I'm not belittling what he did, but I, I just, I don't see its effect to just go into a debate. Someone is already convinced about their sins, and you are obviously convinced about your sins. So what are you debating about? He knows where you stand. You know where he stands. What's the point? You're to you, you, it's a show. It's really a show. Who can come up with a better, 
you know, uh, entertaining argument to put someone in their place and blah, blah, blah. And ministry is not like that. You minister and you share the gospel. It's a gospel of peace. Not of rat-a-tat and arguing back and forth. No, you just minister the gospel of peace. And if they have a heart to receive it and you see that they're, they're interested, yeah, you continue ministering. Yeah, absolutely. But to argue because they don't want to receive it because they supposedly have received the gift of the Holy Ghost through some experience that they had that doesn't even measure up with the scriptures that say that they spoke in tongues. Oh, because they fell back. That, that's how they know they received the gift of the Holy Ghost because they fell back. I don't see that here. I don't see that in the scriptures. I'm not saying God can't touch someone and have them fall back. Jesus spoke the word and the whole army that came after him fell back. That doesn't mean they got the Holy Ghost. They still got up and they still took him to go uh, uh, beat him and crucify him. Falling back is not a sign that you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I can show you signs of when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost in the scriptures. And if you don't receive it, I'm not going to even tell you this, but I'll know that right now in your present state, you're not of God. Because you can't hear God's words. Because those that are of God, Jesus said this of himself, those that are of God, hear my words. Those that are not of God, well, they're not of God. And Jesus said who they were of. If you are not of God, who is your father? The devil. And that's where they're at. Everybody's in a certain state. You're either in a state where your father's the devil or you're in a state where your father is God. And if your father is God, then you will hear truth and you will receive it and you will embrace it and you won't be arguing. I mean, your flesh may get in the way sometimes, like... Like mine's did in the sense that I was seeking truth. I was trying to understand. I was trying to, you know, that's where I came up with, well, baptism in water is sufficient. No, no, I can't say that. So I, I went to baptism of the spirit. Well, that's the crux. That's the key. And then I read the scripture. And I can't say that either. They're both equally important, equally necessary. And so I have to allow the scriptures, and because I love him, and because I love the truth, that's what I accepted. I accepted the truth for what it was. I didn't try to argue one over the other, because if I did, I would be making the scriptures in conflict with each other. I would be making the scriptures say one thing over here, but over here it's contradicting. And, and, and what I received is, since they're both inseparable, now there's no contradiction in the scriptures, because I accepted the truth. I accepted the understanding. And those that don't, I don't need to argue with them. It's not important. If they're of God, at some point they will receive it. And they may not receive it initially. I've, I've told you before, Bishop shared with me the gospel, and I thought, I've been Christian schools all my life, Bishop. All my life. I've been memorizing scripture since I was in fifth grade. I mean, excuse me, uh, since I was five years old. Because in kindergarten I went to a Christian school. And that's one of the things you did I mean, that was standard operating procedure in Christian schools. You had to learn, memorize scriptures. And you'd measure week after week after week after week. And I know a lot of scriptures. And just because of that, and because I've been through altar calls and I've been through all of these things and experiences, but Bishop showed me what the scripture says was the gospel and how do people respond. And then I started thinking, I can't argue with you. But I, 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 I don't. It's not that I don't receive it, but I've not seen it that way. I need to go and study. 
And then I left Georgia, because we came here for what? A winter break? No, Thanksgiving. I don't know. Was it Thanksgiving? No, it was a summer break. That's right. It was a summer break. And I said, I need to go and I need to study it on my own. And I did. And I studied it on my own. And so that's what I'm sharing with you 20 years later. The scriptures. That's all. That's all I will base you know, my life upon. That should be your ultimate authority and your foundation. So, wow. Didn't know where we were getting until I... So the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles who were considered unclean, but now no more. If they got the Holy Ghost, God is saying something. They could not argue the matter because they spoke in tongues. If they had not spoken in tongues, there would be a question as to whether to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Because they knew how they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, the promise of the Father, the blessing of Abraham. Woo! They were speaking in tongues. 120 of them. And everybody's going, what in the world is going on? Who are you guys? How do you know my language? Blah, 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 blah. They knew what it was to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what did they do? They expected others to receive it in the same manner. That's why it was so important that Peter said, how can we forbid water when they receive the Holy Ghost just like us? That is so amazingly and critical in our understanding that what should we expect if we're going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost today? Well, we got to be speaking in tongues. Because that's what Peter expected. And he was an apostle. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. How could he be wrong? Notice here also that even though they were not baptized in water, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus afterwards. So he would not separate the two. He would not say, oh, they got the Spirit just like we did. We're good. Let's go. No, they didn't say that. He continued. Regardless of the order of the experience, whether water came first or spirit baptism came first, it didn't matter as long as it was all done. So this is now the third testimony, showing Peter would not allow the separation of the water and the spirit when obeying the gospel. The Jews, the half-Jews, and the Gentiles. Three really good examples of how they were not separated and then we're going to finish with this one. The fourth example is now Paul. So we had Peter first. Philip, the evangelist, second. Went back to Peter because it was very critical we go back to Peter because he preached to the Gentiles. And that's when they came in. And then Paul was an apostle to who? Paul, the Gentiles. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. Even though Peter started it, his main ministry was to the Jews. Paul went to the Gentiles. Now, did Paul preach to the Jews? Yeah, but he was really an apostle to the Gentiles because, I mean, Ephesus, Corinth, you know, all the, all the churches of, of uh, Greece at that time. So, Paul had two, um, two uh, assistants, if you will, Aquila and Priscilla. They were, they were a married couple. Aquila was the man, Priscilla was the woman. And this is in Acts chapter 18. And there was a certain man named Apollos. He was born in Alexandria. He was an eloquent man. He was mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. And this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. That's what it's described of him. And he was passionate. It says he was fervent in the spirit. And he spoke and he taught diligently the things of the Lord according to the baptism of John. He only knew up to what John was preaching. 
And he, whatever that was, he preached it emphatically. So what did John preach? We've already been over this. Repentance, baptism in water, confess your sins, forgiveness of sins through the through uh, repentance and baptism. Okay, So that's probably what he was preaching. And he preached it passionately. And he began one day to speak boldly in a synagogue in Ephesus. And Aquila and Priscilla were there. And they listened to him. And they took him with them. They took Apollos with them and they went away. And it says they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. He didn't have it all. He added up to the baptism of John and that was good, but that wasn't the way more perfectly. In other words, the way more complete. Perfectly doesn't mean like everything was perfect. It means that that's not the whole, that's not the complete story. That's not the complete message. You got a good bit of it. That's great what you got, but let's complete it. Because John the Baptist didn't end with John the Baptist. He kept referring to one mightier than I. That's the completion, what Jesus was going to come and do. So they expounded unto him the way more perfectly. And when he was, um, when he left and he passed through Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, he helped them much which had believed through the grace. For he, now Apollos, after meeting Aquila and Priscilla, he convinced the Jews publicly, showing the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So now he's got the complete picture. Okay? And then the last scripture, Acts chapter 19. This is Paul. So the reason why I brought up that scripture is because if he only knew up to John, what did he know up to? Which baptism? Exactly. He only knew up to water baptism. So if Aquila and Priscilla came in and they were traveling with Paul, assisting Paul in his missionary travels, and you can read that yourself in Acts chapter 18. It tells you all that if you do a a study on Aquila and Priscilla. They traveled with Paul. They assisted him a lot in his his travels uh, as he preached. Um, they expounded unto him the way more perfectly. And so he brought in the component of Jesus. What did Jesus bring in? The Holy Ghost and fire. So we kind of assume, we we do assume because we don't know exactly what he preached, but he definitely started preaching more of Jesus. Now I bring in Acts chapter 19. Paul is traveling about um, and he meets some certain disciples. He was passing through the upper coast of Ephesus and he found these certain disciples and he started engaging with them. He started talking with them and he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Something was going on. He was conversing with them and all of a sudden, I mean, put yourself in the position. Why would Paul out of nowhere talking to disciples Why would he out of nowhere ask this question? Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? Why do you think? Anybody? Why would you, why would he ask that? Really? I have no idea. Maybe? They were preaching John's Baptist. Maybe they were preaching John's Baptist. Here's what I think. He was talking with them. They were apparent disciples. And as he was talking to them, he was hearing things that, that's not the whole story. That's not everything. Wait, what? 
they, they don't, like Apollos, they, they don't have everything. Wait a second. Hey, hey you guys, when you first, when you first believed, did you receive the Holy Ghost? That's why he asked them, because something in the conversation made him think, they don't have the Holy Ghost. They don't know about the Holy Ghost. That's why he asked them. If in the conversations you're talking about the Holy Ghost to me and you're talking about how he filled you and how you spoke in tongues and how he's helped you and led you and spoke to you, am I going to ask you out of nowhere, hey, Ralph, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? No, it doesn't make any sense. But if in my conversation you start saying weird stuff or stuff that just, it just seems a little off and it doesn't seem quite complete, I'm probably going to ask you, hey, Ralph, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believe? Like, do you know who the Holy Ghost is? Because maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's never said anything. And he keeps referring to John's baptism. He keeps referring to baptism in water and repentance. And he doesn't talk about anything else but that. I would probably, hey, <laughs> and ask that question. So that's what happened there with John, with Paul and these apostles. So they said unto him, we have not so much as even heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. That's discernment. That's just discernment. Paul is discerning something's off. Something's not quite right. And it gets confirmed. Their response is, we don't even know what you're talking about. What Holy Ghost? What, what, what is that? So then Paul said, unto what were you baptized into then? And they said, okay, so they had some, some, some knowledge of baptism. Well, they said, we were baptized in the baptism of John. So it dawns on Paul. Oh, you're one of John the Baptist's disciples. Oh, well, that makes sense. That's why you haven't heard of the Holy Ghost, or that's why you only keep talking about baptism and water and repentance. Maybe that's what it is. So then what does Paul do? He says he, Paul said, John baptized with baptism into repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. So he acknowledged that what John had taught was true. He didn't negate it, but he said there was more to it. He said, hey, even he talked about one who was coming after him. That is on Christ Jesus. And what does it say? When they heard, they were baptized in the name of Jesus or of the Lord Jesus. So there Paul is not separating the importance or the necessity of water baptism. They got water baptized. That's the first thing that happened. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, he didn't stop there. He went further. The Holy Ghost came on them. And what? They spake in tongues. So Peter doesn't separate it. Philip doesn't separate it. Peter again doesn't separate it with the Gentiles. Then you've got Aquila and Priscilla who worked under or assisted Paul. We don't know specifically what they said, but if Paul right here doesn't separate water and spirit with these apparent disciples of John the Baptist, and Apollos was a disciple of John the Baptist, now what do you think Aquila and Priscilla told Apollos? The same thing Paul just told these disciples. That's not, that's not a stretch of the imagination because they were underneath Paul. They heard what he preached. They heard what he taught. They were disciples of Christ as well. So they had to have taught the same thing Paul just did. So since this account immediately follows the account of Aquila and Priscilla, I don't think it a stretch of the imagination to assume that whatever Paul just told these disciples, that's exactly what Aquila and Priscilla told Apollos. 
So at this point, we realize that these apparent disciples were in the same predicament as Apollos. They only knew of John's baptism. This account of Paul's encounter with the apparent disciples sheds light on what Aquila and Priscilla expounded to Apollos. So Paul then said to them that the baptism of repentance that John carried out was good, it was well. That's probably what Aquila and Priscilla said to them. Because, man, you preach it good, boy. Apollos, I mean, you got it down. But let me show you the way of God more perfectly, more completely. And so that's what they both did. They talked about Jesus Christ. They talked about he was the one to come to, uh, to baptize in the spirit and fire. And so the apparent disciples heard this. They believed the words of Paul. They spoke to them and they were immediately baptized in the name of Jesus. And Paul laid hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, we end now. The testimonies, these all testimonies, are overwhelmingly in favor of never separating what two things? Water, Water and, spirit. and spirit. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus. And that was like three and a half. And at this point, we're in Acts 19. I mean, that's like at least 20, 30 years later. They are still not separating the water and the spirit that Jesus would not separate with Nicodemus. Jesus didn't die and stay dead. He didn't die and remain buried. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. To obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, you need to obtain the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for yourself. And that's why we obey what it says in Acts 2.38. So the initial willingness to repent, to change your ways, is a beautiful thing and it is a requirement. But repentance in your own strength is doomed to fail. You will go back to the vomit if you don't get yourself renewed and filled with the Holy Ghost from the inside. Because that's how He gives you power. Power that we talked about to stand the fires of tribulation. However, God has made a way. If you will die with Him, and in Him, since He already died in your place, and you will resurrect with Him, and in Him, since He is already resurrected in your place, then you can obtain mercy, you can obtain forgiveness, you can obtain grace, which is the divine empowerment of God in you, to walk free from sin and death. And walk according to the new law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which is spoken in Romans chapter 9, or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. So in contrast to your previous manner of life, walking in the flesh, you can now do something that you can never do before. What is that? If all you could ever do was walk in the Spirit, what can you do now that you're born again? I think I heard you say You can walk in the Spirit. That's a life completely dependent on the Spirit of God. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and were blessed, pass it along to a friend, an enemy, a co-worker, a stranger, by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. 1. Pray for us. 2. Leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. 
and 3. If you so desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash jbenjesus. That's paypal.me forward slash jbenjesus. God bless.